Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today I have our Chief Science Officer, Dr. Brandon Roberts, on the podcast because we are going to dive into some research. So we have this week's research review, um, and this topic is going to be really cool for a couple reasons. Number one, I think this is the this and hormones are up there as like the two biggest scapegoats for people when they're not getting the results they want. Um, And what we're talking about today is genetics. But the other reason this is really cool is because I did a podcast on how much do genetics matter. And it's always nice when I have you come on and and kind of school me on the research a little bit deeper because I can kind of discuss my experience and what I interpret the research to say. But obviously, this is what you do for a living, man. You're an expert in this. So I'm excited for this. Um, And I'm hoping that, that I'm always like on the underdog side of this, like let's hope that they don't affect us too much because it gives us all more of a chance. Um, But nonetheless, this is something that people are constantly blaming their lack of success in the gym, their lack of success with their physique on. Um, And I think it's important that we address this. So I'm really excited for this topic. And the specific question that you're going to be answering today is how much do genetics affect performance, which obviously we can tie into numerous uh, aspects of hypertrophy, fat loss, all those kind of things later on. Uh, But man, why don't you kind of get into what you pulled up in addressing the question specifically? Yeah, yeah. So when people think genetics, it's kind of like this vague term, right? It's like, what does that even mean? Like, what is a gene? Like I have, you know, copies of DNA inside me and all my cells and they tell what, tell the other cells what to do and what to make and how to adapt. And and so what I like to start off with when I talk about genetics is height, because it's, it's very easy, like, and people get this. So height is extremely heritable. So it's like 80% of your height comes from, or the variance in your height can come from your parents. Um, so you see people with like NBA stars that get together, have tall kids or like six, five or whatever. Uh, that makes sense. When you see two um, smaller people like five foot five or four or three or whatever get together, their kids are usually smaller. So that's an easy way to show, you know, genetics matter. Um, and height's probably the biggest factor that it affects. Um, there are, you know, skin color, eye color, things like that. Um, but in terms of how much do genetics explain your ability to get stronger or adapt to running. So surrogate for running is like VO2 max, um, which is the maximal amount of oxygen you can uptake on like a standardized test. Um, and that is about 50 to 60% um, for both of those. So you inherit genetically about 50 to 60% of your response. Now that means that there's a whole nother, you know, 40 to 50% that is not responsible by your genetics. Um, so I think that's where people kind of get a little confused. It's like, all right, what, is, what does that mean? Like, so I, I can't change my genetics, not yet anyway. And we, we might be able to in the next like 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it holding me back? You know, is it holding me back from becoming an, an athlete or whatnot? And usually it's not except for the elites, right? Or the college athletes or the, you know, you have to be a certain size or a certain shape or a certain body type, kind of go there a little bit, um, to play sports. Uh, But for physique, right, it doesn't seem to play that big of a role. One question I have based on the app, like, because I I think there's, I was listening to, uh, 
Stuart McGill was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, or not Joe Rogan, I'm sorry, Joe Franco's podcast. Uh, and uh, completely different. But uh, they uh, were, it was a really cool discussion. It was kind of about this. And they were talking about when they see an athlete brought in by a parent and the parent is basically going to pay for their training because they want them to be the best in X sport. And they look at the person and they're like, they are not going to the league in that sport because they are built like a swimmer and you were telling me you want them to go to the NFL. You know, and I think there's definitely, that's, you know, height, limb length, structure, things like that, I'm sure. Um, However, and you're probably going to get into this, so if I'm jumping the gun, just... You can just shut me down and keep going. But uh, one of the things I read about was like an aerobic gene. So there is like some genetics. But just like you said, let's say it is 40 to 50%. So maybe it gives you a boost. But are there other genetics that can kind of cross-cancel that out almost? Like certain genetics can carry you further in other ways, which kind of level the playing field, so on and so forth. They were basically saying in this study that, you know, they found this one specific gene that helped aerobic performance, but there's such a big gene pool that is undiscovered or that they didn't factor into the study. How, how do they really know that it's going to make that big of an influence? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we, we will get into that. Um, cause I think it's, it's important, right? Have you, have you done any of the genetic testing stuff? At all? I haven't. No. Okay. So I've done 23 and me like way back in the day. Cause I was curious. And the main reason I did it was, um, because of these two genes that are performance genes. And I really wanted some confirmation bias because I am not fast. Um, but I'm, I could be aerobically kind of like good. I just choose not to be because I don't, I, don't, I hate that life. Um, so they've, they've got the most research on these two genes. And the first one is an aerobic gene. So it's the angiotensin converting enzyme. Um, so everybody has this gene. You have two different versions of the, of the gene. One is an insertion and one is a deletion, which means little bits of your genetic code are either there or they're not there. That's the simplest way to put it. Um, and so what they found is that they originally thought that the deletion, like polymorphism, was the better. So these people were like, they looked at it and they were like, okay, well, it seems like when this enzyme that comes from this gene is deleted, it makes you perform better. Yeah. So there's a bunch of studies that kind of look at that and show that, you know, that would be beneficial. But as we've grown in the literature, right, we're looking at now more like meta-analyses and more big picture type studies. They're kind of saying, well, you know, there's an association, so maybe it's part of it, but it can't explain your whole ability to adapt to like running or aerobic exercise. It's just a part of it. Again, when you look at genes and performance, we are curious about how, how much of the change, like say you're on a program, is due to your genetics and how much of it is just due to like something everybody else has. And that's really hard to quantify. Um, so when we look at the meta-analyses, the ACE gene, which is one I just talked about, there's, there's not much there. But we really thought, like we really thought for like five years that this was like the gene. Like this was the gene, you have it or you don't, and it's going to make you a power athlete or endurance athlete. Boom. Um, so I think I have the, uh, I think I'm, 
have the D allele, but they're also on any of the fitness like genetic tests that you take. This is the main one that they look at. Um, so the other one is alpha actinin three, and that's in your muscles. Um, and there's a there's two versions. There's one with the stop codon, so the gene this or sorry this protein <clears throat> doesn't express like that well. And then there's one with like a, a, a a genetic mutation to a different protein. Um, and it, it looks like when they started diving into these genes again, that those people with the R allele, so the mutation, are better at power movements, like power lifting, or yeah, more like Olympic lifting, more like power burst type things. Um, and so when I did mine, I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I have the two stop codons, which is XX. That explains why I have like no power. <laughs> like like I, I am not good at anything that go, requires sprinting or bursts of power. Um, so those are the two main ones, but they're still kind of like, eh, I don't know, like one study will go one way, another study will go another way. So even these two, two genes that we know have, probably have two dozen studies about, or maybe even three dozen now, like it's still not clear that like this gene is doing something that we really care about. Does genetics play a role in muscle muscle fiber dominance? Because I know that we can technically change, right? If we have somebody who's 50-50 and like twins that are 50-50, which probably rarely ever happens at all, but let's just say they were for sake of argument, and one starts playing football and the other one starts doing like uh, cross-country running, as kids, and they continue to do that throughout their their life. If they were tested on their muscle fiber dominance twenty years later, one would be mainly fast twitch, and one would be mainly slow twitch. Um, do does your genetic makeup play a role in that initial fiber dominance? Which I would assume just you know naturally would probably shift somebody to choose which sport because they would play all the sports like we most of us do when we're kids, and we realize oh I suck really bad at those, and I'm really good at this, so I'm just going to do that all the time. Um, yeah, but does that start? as a genetic thing? It Hereditary. does. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you have to take out all the like little activity things, but if you just look at a baseline person, say they're, you know, teenager, past teenager, they're done growing. Um, there are studies actually that describe exactly what you just said. They'll take twins and, and you can, if you probably Google this, it'll come up. Um, and you look at twin studies where one did like we'll call it bodybuilding, but you know, he wasn't really like a bodybuilder and one did cross country running and they're, they look exactly the same. And one is jacked and one is, looks just like a cross country runner. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it does play a role, but not as much of a role as training. So now say you start off 50, 50, right. And say, I'm like 55% fast twitch. Like that's, that's about as much as you got. You got like a 5% swing max. Um, but with training, like 20 years of training, right, you, you take a biopsy out of somebody and they might be like 75% fast twitch now. And it's usually that's the cutoff is like 75 to 80% depending on the muscle. Um, but you, if you look at the muscle from these elite racers, like in the Olympics, in the world trials or whatever you want to look at, they are like super dominant in faster slow twitch. And that's why they're so good is they had that initial bump from their baseline, like genetic effect, plus their limbs and everything else is perfect. Plus they train really, really hard, mm -hmm. right? And when you stack 
those things, you get like an elite athlete, basically. Yeah, and even even if they were slightly dominant and then now they're extremely dominant, it's due to so much time training with the same modalities. And that's, I mean, it just goes to show like, it, you know, I, I'm literally building a program. We're calling it the everyday athlete. It's going to go on the Taylor trainer soon. And, um, it's, it's how I used to train a lot. And it's obviously strength training. You're not literally training athletes because we might use a jam ball throw or slam instead of doing something sports specific, right? We're using explosive movements, doing stuff like that. Um, and it's really just, it's really fun training. There's plyometrics there's strength work. There's some bodybuilding, but not really. It's more geared towards like strength and stuff like that. Um, and so I don't want to like shit on my own program, but what I was getting ready to say is people will throw out and I've seen, I've read articles that were really well put together and they had some science behind like how to look like a jacked athlete. And it's like, what you're saying is true, but the timeline in which that those methods would actually create that jacked athlete is it's just so much longer than the person, you know, listening, um, is going to, uh, adapt from. So it's, it really is important to stick with these modalities for a long period of time. If you want to change your fiber dominance, I would assume, Yes. Yeah. You will. So the, the biggest change that happens is we, so if humans have a, a bunch of hybrid fibers, so we're just going to make it really simple and say you have one slow twitch, which is type one, uh, one medium fast twitch, which is type two a, and then one super fast twitch, which is type two X. Um, pretty much with any training, your type two X fibers, they kind of disappear because they're really fragile and they break. And so your body's like, okay, not only are these not great, we're just going to kind of shift to two and then you have basically one and two. Um, so there's that immediate shift happens in like less than 10 weeks. Like we've done training studies where we've taken biopsies, looked at muscle fiber type, taken them again at 10 weeks and their two X fibers um, are, are pretty much gone. Like there might be like 1%, but that is something that's kind of a check on did you do your study right? You know, like, are these fibers gone? Cause they should be if they're training hard. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing that kind of comes to my mind that I want to pick your brain on with this is, uh, so there's two things. One is epigenetics, right? And so I've heard people blame, like when we talk about genetics for performance, when I was looking into this, um, so you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong or give me your feedback on it. But when I was looking into this topic and looking at the research, I found more for, uh, like you said, endurance, aerobic, and like explosive power development, and, and less proving anything for um, physique, like hypertrophy inabilities and stuff like that. Like a lot of times people are like, oh, I have bad genetics for muscle growth. It's like, or you're just not training hard enough and eating enough food, realistically, right? Now, there's a difference between that and obviously um, like uh, Phil Heath who has won many times with Michelle he has damn near perfect muscle insertions and muscle bellies. That's somewhat genetic. You know, the length of his bicep, it, you know, whether somebody has bigger biceps or not, his are literally shaped perfectly. That's pretty genetic. Um, but when it comes to just building muscle, it might not be as much, especially with weight loss. When I looked into it, and there's even something they call the obesity gene, I found that a lot of it um, kind of, it almost seemed as if it was like the obesity gene is more likely to give you a, a worse starting point, but it's not going to stop you from losing weight because even people that had this gene still lost a ton of weight. So you might be starting from a, a poor place or you might have a little bit more trouble losing weight than the person who doesn't have that gene, but it's it almost seemed if it was kind of splitting hairs, which is where I kind of think the epigenetics comes into play a little bit because people will ask me like, well, you know, I have bad genetics. My, my mom's overweight. My dad's overweight. My grandparents are overweight. My brother and sister are overweight. And I'm like, okay, but 
what are the habits and environment and lifestyle of your family? Because if they're supporting obesity, then of course you're going to be obese. You know what I mean? Like if you were uh, born into an obese family, but you were adopted when you were two and you were given to a family who is extremely lean and athletic, I'm sure you wouldn't be obese, you know, not nearly as much. Um, at least that's kind of what my take was it when I started like kind of trying to separate from the obesity gene and then looking at epigenetics, which I don't know the exact definition, but I believe that's just kind of like um, how our environment and lifestyle and habits affect our genes, right? So it's, it's a little bit, so yes, but there's like a step between the, that okay. and genes. Um, so, and this is, a, this is the example that I love to tell people. So when you train, you have epigenetic changes that occur, like just normal, right? Let's say you detrain and you go through like, I don't know, COVID or something, right? And then you train again. Those initial epigenetic changes will happen faster or will already like, they'll stay. They're like, okay, we, we trained, we know what this is. We know how to access these genes and now we can do it faster or better, right? So epigenetics is the access to your genes that is often controlled by the environment and what's happening around you. Um, so if you look at your parents and they're both obese, right? Not only are you in an environment, but those genes they've passed down to you are epigenetically modified, at least we think, to promote that environment, to promote fat gain, to promote obesity. But if you take that person, just like you said, and you put them in a different house and you fix everything, right? They'll lose weight. They'll be great. Like, especially with weight loss, that's one of the easier things. Now, you know, when you talk about getting into performance, it's a little different because if you've ever seen someone with like two jacked parents, they're, they're like genetically endowed. And you're like, okay, you can't put somebody in a different house and, and take that away. Yeah. Um, they could get fat, but whatever. Um, and you can't give that to somebody either. Yeah. But weight loss, I think, I think you're right. Like we, the obese, obese gene, there's like one and it explains, I don't know, 3% of like weight loss. It's so small. Yeah. It's so small. It's not something to, to point the finger at. Right. And, and I think that's a good, it's a really good story or analogy to explain it because we all also know the person who used to be an athlete, let's say, and now they have like a gut and they're kind of chip, but their arms and traps are still huge or they're still really fucking strong. You know, it's like they can still handle themselves on the court if you play pickup ball, but they're clearly put on some weight and they're out of shape now, quote unquote. Um, and I think like, and this is, I think this is easier said than, than I guess nothing's being done here, but the point is it's easy to say this. Um, the human body wasn't meant to be obese. Like we weren't created as beings that were supposed to be obese. At least I, I guess I really can only just believe that. I guess I really can't fucking prove that. But my thought is that like, you know, that's why I think most of even that obese gene or these things is probably epigenetic. Like you said, it, maybe it can get carried down, but I'm sure if you kept going further and further and further and back into the ancestral tree, um, you really probably would lose that obesity. And we know obesity has increased as the years have gone on. So that's kind of obvious, like once upon a time before we could record the time, I'm sure people were all fairly lean. I mean, you had to be really, really wealthy back in the day to be fat. That's kind of like how it went in the medieval days. So um, I could only imagine it was like less and less occurrence as time went back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's true. The more easily accessible food, the higher calorie density, um, those all like 
play a huge role, highly palatable foods, we think now, like these are all contributing to an environment where like, I don't have to walk to work or bicycle to work anymore. I can drive, Mm -hmm. right? Or I can take public transit. Um, You know, that's, that's activity I'm not doing anymore. I don't have to, you know, I'll give you a different one, sleep, right? Once electricity was invented and a while afterwards, right? I don't have to burn candles for light and go to bed at nighttime because I don't want to use all my candles. It's like, I just blow them out and I go to bed. Yeah. Right? But now it's like, it's like a switch, right? So I think it's, it's, it's a lot of the environment and you'll see people point towards carbs or fats or, or all this different stuff with diet types, right? And it's like, maybe we just shouldn't eat as much, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it's hard to do that. Like, I love food. Let me tell you. It is a constant battle for weight maintenance for me. I love food and I love beer. And now I'm starting to like wine even more. And I'm just like, <laughs> give me the good stuff. Yeah. You know, I can totally relate to that, man. I think uh, the, the, I agree hundred percent. And I think the last thing I'll just throw out is just, uh, and this is why I haven't done 23 and me um, because the, like when I was digging into the placebo podcast and I was looking at research on the placebo effect, I found some on that aerobic gene. So they tested this aerobic gene and there was people who had this uh, beneficial aerobic gene and there was people uh, in a group that didn't have it, but they told the people the opposite. And so they saw people who had the gene do better initially. Um, and then when they told them they didn't have the gene, they actually started doing worse. And the people that did worse before, cause they didn't have the gene who now thought they did have this aerobic gene that enhanced their performance actually ended up doing better. So one of the things I always tell people too, is like, even like, let's say you do have shitty genes for performance. We know now that it at worst, it's like a 40 to 50%, which still isn't enough to make you complete shit at whatever you're trying to do. You can still improve. You can still progress. And based on everything we're talking about, you can continually train until it gets better and better and better. So you can kind of out train bad genetics in a way, I guess. Um, But the more you tell yourself you have bad genes, the more your genes are going to suck, right? Or what your performance is, is going to suck based on the fact that you think you have shitty genes because Genet- or uh, placebo effect is very, very real. So if anything, you should start telling yourself you have great genes and you have no excuse not to get jacked and maybe you'll be more likely to get jacked. Now, I'm sure that's harder to convince yourself of out of the blue compared to saying you have bad genes. But point being, um, don't read into it too much because I think that placebo effect really can cause a negative impact on your progress if you if you talk yourself into it. Yeah, yeah, just believe in yourself, man. That's all you gotta do. Like, work hard, do the right things and, and, mm-hmm. and you'll get there eventually. I, I think a lot of people underestimate that the amount of time it takes to get where they want to be, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you see, I used to have clients come up to me all the time and they'll show me a picture of Brad Pitt. And I'm like, I want to look like that. And I'm like, we got a lot of work to do, but we can get there. Mm-hmm. Like it might take two years, but we could totally do it. Like, and you probably won't look like Brad Pitt because you know he's a movie star. But whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I get good for what you're saying. Yeah, it's so funny that Brad Pitt from Fight Club was like the chosen physique for so long. Like I remember, and when and maybe this because I just always love bodybuilding. I look at him like, I mean, he could really use a bigger chest probably some bigger traps and lats. Like I looked at, it, I was like, he doesn't actually look that jacked. He's just really lean. But everybody, I've heard that a million times and it's all, it, there's memes about it. Like everybody wanted to look like that. It's so funny. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to look like the rock over here and that's never going to happen. Yeah. So yeah. There, there might be a genetic factor with <laughs> the rock. Um, 
Cool. So uh, this is perfect, man. Do you have any final takes on that? I feel like we broke that down pretty well. No, I'm good. I think we I think we did break it down, and you know we got some good notes in the in the podcast too. So check yep. out. So we'll drop all the the information that uh, Brandon wrote up about this podcast, as well as the links to the studies that he used in the description of this podcast. You can check it out there. Um, as always, if you like this podcast, leave us a five star rating review on Spotify and iTunes, please. And last but not least, share this on your Instagram story by taking a screenshot, posting it, and tagging myself at Cody McBroom and tagging Brandon at brob underscore twenty one. We want to thank you for listening, and we want to share it on our uh, story as well. We'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.